for Leonard today as he brings his word. Uh, give us ears to hear. Amen. Now, if you want to stand up, we'll sing. It's a song about what we just kind of pray about.
And I do mean that sincerely. Uh, of course, most of the time we just see each other online or at a distance, but I don't know about you, but when we gather in person, it is very refreshing and I think good for the soul. Uh, anybody else feel that way? Good, good. I'm glad I'm not alone in that because sometimes you feel so alone in what's happening that you can't always imagine that other people are experiencing the same kind of um, personal upheaval. And that's why I think it's good to be part of the church, whether we are gathered physically or whether we are gathered in spirit online. Um, I think it's awesome because, you know, right now there are people that are online that are part of this gathering uh, who need to be staying home, who have issues uh, regarding health that are concerns, uh, that uh, the threat issue is greater. And so for you guys that are online, I'd uh, just like to say welcome this morning to our worship gathering. If you have any prayer concerns, uh, please uh, just uh, let us know via text or email or uh, you can um, uh, maybe IM while this is going on, and that'd be great too. And for, the, for, for you guys that are here, which is, this is such a different experience, isn't it, uh, being in two places at the same time. Um, maybe there's some things on your heart this morning that we can pray about or we can just share together collectively uh, in a spirit of celebration. So didn't know if there's anything that you wanted to uh, lift up today. Uh, if there is, uh, let's, um, let's take anything that's on our heart uh, before the Lord. Um, I do want to uh, offer a prayer for my, um, my friend Doug. Your uncle just passed away, and, and so I want to uh, lift up your family, uh, Doug McCollum, and, uh, and, and, and his, uh, his clan. Anybody else in here? Joe? Okay. Okay. What's his first name? R Russell? Okay. We will definitely pray for him. And one thing I have noticed while this is going on is that a lot of people have been praying about a lot of different things, and I've seen God move in very powerful ways. Uh, so we will pray for Russell. And I also want to pray for Linda Martin. Uh, who is battling uh, her own um, uh, war with cancer. Um, she uh, is in good spirits right now, but uh, they definitely are leaning on us and other churches for uh, prayer support, so please keep them lifted up. Anything else? All right. Well, let's just go ahead and take all of this before the Lord. Father, as we begin this first day of the week, I am so grateful for how you've called us to be together, whether it is um, here within this physical gathering or online in our homes. We know, Father, that we are your church wherever we are at, and however it is that we can engage, we are part of your family and representatives of your kingdom. And so, Father, you know that the work that needs to be done in this season is different than what we normally do, but yet there is still work to be done. And I pray, Father, that you help us to tune our hearts and our minds to what exactly that is and how it is that your purpose takes shape in our lives in this season and that we would have um, uh, the presence of mind to just listen to that still, small voice and to see your nudging in our lives, and maybe as we look around, see how it is that other people are hurting and in need of you in ways that maybe they never imagined. And I pray, Father, that you would find us faithful in that expression of our faith in those situations. I pray, Father, for those that we want to lift up in a spirit of intercession. We Ask that you would be with uh, uh, this young man, Russell, who's studying to 
do your work and will and a vocation and calling. I just ask that you would bless him in the healing process and that you would spare his life so that he could walk into that calling and bring you glory through this experience, Father. I pray, Father, for uh, uh, Doug and his family as they grieve the passing of his uncle and just help them in these awkward times to be able to experience a, um, a, 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 a moment of closure and celebration and hope. Pray, Father, that you would be with um, just the various needs that we have within this congregation, whether we think about our friend Linda Martin or Kay Swanson, who is um, having prayers answered in her life and Linda and hers as well, that you would just keep these people in your grace and mercy and bring healing to their lives we pray, Father, for our community as on a local level we have to deal with realities that are, are new and different and uncertain. We pray for government and national leaders and state and, and leaders all the way down to uh, the region. And we pray for wisdom to prevail. We pray for justice to prevail. That uh, if there are things that need to be put right and made right, in our country, in our state, in our community, that you would work to do so. And even in our own lives, Father, as you use this season to churn to the surface those things that maybe we've been putting off in our walk with you, I pray, Father, that you help us to see what it is that you are doing in each of our lives because I know you are doing something. It's how you, how you operate, Father. You are transforming us into the likeness of your son and the messiness of that sometimes involves uh, us moving away from one thing and into a new thing in you whatever the case may be father we just want to lift all of these things up to you in a spirit of thanksgiving and gratitude and hope and we trust father that as we do uh, you are attending to each of them, and we give you praise for the ways that we've seen your hand move, and we anticipate that same movement to continue. I pray for lives here that maybe need to make a commitment to you in a deeper way, whether it's through baptism or just a renewal and rededication, that that would occur as well. And I just ask that as all of us come together, Lord, uh, you give us a heart and mind that is after your own. So may we do that as we pray together our Lord's Prayer. Would you pray with me now? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, as we move into our, our message time, we are starting, our, we started last week a new message series called Virtually Reality, based on the parables of Jesus. And so hopefully as we get into that, it will wake us up to things that we need to see in Scripture and hopefully be a catalyst for our own faith in, in, in this season that we're in. And I don't know about you, but I, I've had to lean on my faith um, probably as deeply in this weird year we call 2020 uh, as I probably ever have. And as, um, as I've done that, the Word has been such a critical part of keeping anchored in the realities of God, staying connected to God, and uh, then utilizing prayer as a means by which we can um, uh, just stay verbally and mindfully connected with Him. Uh, hopefully, you've all received one of the prayer guides called Calling God. If not, please pick one up right outside the worship center, or we have them on PDF on our website. And we're looking at the life of Moses, and hopefully, uh, anybody going through that with us? Has it been good? Useful? Okay. 
So there you have it right there. Um, uh, for me, having a daily devotion is kind of life and death. And as uh, God is uh, really making those realities very clear uh, in this moment, um, we just want to lean on him. And as we do, we also know that uh, going through the storyline, uh, there's a purpose that God wants to leverage in this. And he wants to do that through you and I. Um, now, you know, for my wife, the purpose has been, now that I have your attention more than I've ever had it, uh, there's a honeydew list, and I need to leverage that. And so it has, it has cost a little bit on the home front, but thankfully, the good thing about this experience is, as much as it's not so good for uh, my kids, is that they're around. And honestly, they're probably getting sick of doing dishes and cleaning up and picking up and doing all those wonderful things that <clears throat> my wife and I would have to do for each other when the nest was a lot smaller. You know, when you kick birds out of the nest, <clears throat> they're supposed to fly, which they do, but ours must have had like some kind of wing that was bigger than the other one because they just kind of flew right back. But it has been a joy, to be honest with you, to be able to experience them again. And you really appreciate them, you know, in, in ways that you didn't um, before they left. And it's really no different with what's going on here. Now, when God had called his people to do the job that they were supposed to do, and that is to be a light to the world... They really struggled with that, and they got kind of preoccupied with their own affairs and their own world and their own ambitions and all of that, and Jesus had to do kind of a wake-up call uh, for his people, and that's why he came first to Israel to say, we've got to get some things in alignment here, and the best way to do that, I think, is through not just telling them what to do because my kids will tell you that every time I break out in a sermon, they not only wonder if there's going to be a call for an offering at the end, they also are thinking, yeah, I don't really need to be preached to right now. But it's so interesting when you tell a story and that story has something in it that kind of comes at them sideways and comes at you and I sideways, we can't help but listen to the story, can we? I mean, stories are, are that, that good. We were just down in the south in, in, in Nashville and then in Kentucky Lake. And people down there, <clears throat> I don't know what it is, <clears throat> excuse me, but they can tell stories. All they have to do is just go to the grocery store and come back. And you sit down with them, and they will give you a detailed narrative of exactly what that was all about. And do so in such a way that you never imagined that there was so much content that could be loaded into just a trip to the grocery store. But for some reason, they can pull that off. We in the north are pretty no-nonsense, aren't we? Kind of straight to the point because, you know, we're, we're fast-moving, and we just, you know, we want, want you to get on with it. So I, I'll get on with it. Jesus told a story, and, uh, well, <laughs> you guys are so lucky. You're not going to hear this story because I, uh, I just went out. Electrifying. <laughs> I don't know what this is doing online, <clears throat> but <clears throat> hopefully, hopefully we're good to go. Yeah. This has been my week, people. I can tell you a story about my week, okay? I, I had to go uh, get a, a, a medical checkup this week, and it should have been from here on up, but they just wanted to do a blood test. And as I'm driving to Columbiana, just kind of a little bit of a cloudy sky, I see a lightning bolt come down and just crash into the ground, and I'm like, whoa, I didn't anticipate that because it, it wasn't really raining or anything, just a big lightning bolt. And I'm like, holy cow. Well, I didn't realize that maybe it hit my house because a little bit later I got a phone call saying, yeah, lightning struck near our house 
and we don't have water. And I'm like, that figures. <laughs> so we have, uh, we, we've had a lot of guests in our house since this has been going on. And one of them is my nephew, Eli, who's a student in Detroit, and he's coming down to spend some time. And I thought, great. I now have all my kids at home. Now we got Eli, and we ain't got no water. Do you guys know how much you use water? I didn't realize it because I thought, no big deal. Uh, I'll wait till tomorrow and find some parts and go, no. Toilets got to be flushed. Stinky bodies got to be cleaned. And people, well, they need to wash their hands a lot, I discovered. I also discovered that if you go down into the basement to the sink down there when the water goes out, there's just enough water for you. <laughs> now you know. Because I, I don't keep secrets. That's kind of an example of people in the South. Well, Jesus, whenever he was trying to kind of come sideways at the minds of his own followers and the people of Israel, told some, something called parables. And each of the parables were designed to shake you up a little bit. And the one parable we're going to look at today is a parable about loving your neighbor. And that's an interesting thing in this moment as well, because how many people are just hugging anybody, even, even their spouse? We're just not into affection that much right now, let alone thinking about loving neighbors. So I think this may be a good time to talk about this. And I wondered as I reread this, how would Jesus tell this parable today, right now? I don't think he would tell it quite the same way, but we're going to look at it. And then, um, hopefully, uh, we're going to take some things away from here and walk out of here in a pretty good position, I think, to, to serve God as we do. Um, in, in Luke chapter 10, we read the story about uh, a certain scribe came up to Jesus and said, I've done everything that I need to do to satisfy the law and God's uh, purposes in my life. And Jesus said, um, you know, what, it, what uh, basically he asked, you know, what, what are the greatest commandments? And the guy said, uh, you know, loving God and with all my heart and soul and mind and strength and loving my neighbors myself. And then Jesus went on to ask, well, you know, who, who they went on to debate the question, who is my neighbor? And then Jesus didn't respond in the way that he expected because in their mind, they had already worked out who was a neighbor and who wasn't a neighbor. And it had more to do with them and what they wanted and less to do with what God wanted for the lives of his people, and maybe for us as well. But if you remember the story, it talks about a certain man uh, going on the road to Jericho, and when he did, he was robbed and beaten and left for dead. And then the story goes on to describe uh, a scribe who was also on that road. It was a very dangerous road that was uh, main, mainly the, the only thoroughfare to Jerusalem, uh, that went through a, a valley that had a, a lot of nefarious characters that would waylay you along the way. Or you could go many, many miles out of the way and go around that valley and proceed to your destination accordingly. So if people were traveling back and forth to Jerusalem from Jericho, a lot of times they would just say, I, I don't have the time to go all the way around, so I'm going to go through. And this gentleman did. Well, the scribe was on his way to the temple uh, during that particular season and probably maybe to study under priests and Levites. And when he saw the guy, he made sure that he went around him or stepped over him and he went on his way because he had important religious work to do. And then as we know the story, a Levite also was proceeding to the same destination, probably for the same conference that was happening and he just went clear on the other side of the road 
and he didn't defile himself by fraternizing with somebody that was injured and could potentially defile them and their involvement with the temple. It would render them unclean. And so very practically minded, the Levite said, I can't go there right now. I'll say a quick prayer for him as I go around, and then I need to get to my religious conference. And then we know the last guy that's, dri that, that's not driving. He's walking down that road, and he sees the guy who is Jewish, and he himself is a Samaritan, which is just like saying these are two groups of people that hate each other. And he says, I need to show compassion. So he, he puts the guy up on his donkey and carts him off to the end. And you know the story. Uh, gives the innkeeper two denarii and says, um, take care of him and I'll be back to settle up whatever we need to do to keep this thing as healthy as we possibly can and hopefully restore this man's life. Now imagine this parable being told this way. And I think, it, I think it will do it a service. Next day he comes back, and he does have business on the road to Jericho. And on his way, uh, we know he's already done something that was a good deed for another person, but that set him back a little bit. And so he gets rested up, and he begins to proceed again, and he walks by that spot where he rescued that person, and he asks the question, I wonder how he's doing. I hope that he does well. And... As he goes around him, not much farther down the road, guess what? There's another person that has been waylaid, and they're laying almost dead on the side of the road. But because he has that kind of heart for people that are hurting and he wants to help, he does the very same thing that he did for the person the previous day, puts him on his donkey, takes him back to the inn, checks how much money he has on him, and says, I'm going to... I'm going to help this guy out, although I'm a day short now, and I'm also getting low on cash. So he realizes he's going to be a little bit late for his, um, his, his, uh, his event. And, and, and so he starts off again, and he gets a couple miles past where those two things happen. And guess what happens? There's another person on the side of the road, and they're pretty badly injured, and he's thinking, hmm, I see a pattern here, and it must be the same gang of thugs taking on just anybody and everybody that's showing up on this road. What do you think he did? Well, he had a heart of compassion. He wanted to do something that would fulfill the need of the moment, and so he said, I'm already two days late. This is putting me back on my cash reserves, but I have to do the humanitarian thing. So, loads him up on his donkey, takes him back to the innkeeper, and the innkeeper's like, not again. But, assuming that the innkeeper's now ready to read this guy's mind, he knows the drill. And sure enough, he gives him some more money and says, please help him out like you helped the other two out. I got to get going. So, down the road he goes again, and it's looking pretty good. He's going by each spot, and he's remembering each of those events because they are a graphic reminder of the disruption, and then it happens. Again, there is another person who, under the same kind of circumstances, has found himself almost left for dead. What do you think he does? You think he just says, I, I can't do it anymore. What would you do? Four times? Would you start to feel a little bit of compassion fatigue? Like, whew, this is a lot. This keeps going. I'm never going to get there. And I'm certainly running out of money. Do you ever wonder how doctors and nurses feel right now? Or anybody that is on the front lines of caring for people that... God says you need to love your neighbor as yourself. Or anybody else, for that matter, who is in close contact with people that are living under conditions that could be threatening for the people that care for them. 
Do you ever wonder if Jesus had a parable that would respond to compassion fatigue? Where you know you want to help, but you realize that the burden of helping is too great? Now, Jesus was trying to single out individuals so that he could make it very personal. And there were a lot of things that Jesus did that were very one-on-one and very individual-like. But there were also things that Jesus did that I think answered that question. Because I, I personally think it's okay to do that to this parable because we already know the parable. We already know where it's headed. We already know, we've already heard the sermons about it. But if Jesus were to add on and say, since you are there, I want to take you here. And that really is what the parables are, are truly all about, moving you forward in your walk with God so that the things that are keeping you from doing what you need to be doing are brought to light so that you can begin to deal with them. Now, when I look at the scribe and the, and the Levite, I have to be honest with you, I've had my moments where I've been those people And I wondered, why was it that in my calling, I was that person? And if I expanded that parable out the way I just did, it's because I was just worn out. I just couldn't do any more. There was nothing left. So does God want each individual to rescue everyone and everything all the time? Or do you think God has another answer for all of these questions? And maybe they're not important to you, but I think they are to God. As you look at this parable and you unfold it that way, what would be your response if you were that Samaritan and you're running out of time, you're running out of resources, and you're running out of emotional energy? You are just spent what would you do? Would you say, God, why? I can't do this. Well, I think, honestly, there are two responses. If I were just to go back to that scene and say, all right, this is the 21st century, and we can do something about what's happening on the road to Jericho or other places where there are problems and things like that, and I would see, I would see two solutions here. The first one I would see is we need more than one person taking care of these problems. We need a rescue team. What would that rescue team look like? Would it be people who were banded together in agreement that there is a purpose and a mission for us being banded together? And they're focused solely on addressing this problem of having to go on the road to Jericho and finding people left for dead all over the place. What would that rescue team look like? I wonder. I wonder if we were looking in a mirror right now, we'd see it. You know, sometimes when you look in the mirror, you got to be careful because it'll tell you a lot more than you want to hear. So don't spend too much time there if you don't want to hear things about yourself. That's kind of what Jesus was doing for the Israelites. He was kind of showing them a picture from the standpoint of what it looked like in the mirror. And some people are like, hi, I get it. Yeah. And for us, you know, I think about the ways that we try to be a team. We can just say, I've got a conference, I've got a program, I've got to do this, and I don't have time for that. Or we can say, that is actually why we're here. And as Jesus is telling this, the religious leaders were so habituated and ingrained in their understanding of who they were in that role that they, <laughs> they, they couldn't see it. 
But the Samaritan who was in need and humble and desperate in his own, his own faith, and we see that in other portraits of the Samaritans in the Gospels, that person said, I'm kind of in tune right now because I got my own things going on. I need God. That person needs God. And in that spirit of humility, God can do things through that. So we need a rescue team. And I think about what we do here as a church. And I think about people that are oftentimes contacting the office or people that are part of the community in some way. And, and my, my, my constant question is, how is it that we play a role in doing God's purpose in those situations? Whether it's an individual needing help with just paying some bills or another person who needs help learning how to manage what they have because a lot of people are not blessed with parents that equip them on how you just write a check and keep a ledger. I don't think society is going <laughs> to respond to needs like that, but I wonder sometimes as we just look at what people go through, whether or not our role needs to expand. Well, so their rescue teams, I think, would be good, right? To keep that guy from getting burned out, or gal, from getting burned out. Doing things together is a force multiplier. Lots of energy, right? I mean, you guys that gather here today, perhaps this sermon is a downer. But let's be honest. When you walked in and you said, I need to be around people. I would be surprised if anybody walks out of here and says, I feel worse now than whenever I came in. Even if you're an introvert, I have to think that you're like, yeah, it's good to be around some people. And hopefully shoot the breeze a little bit and maybe lean on another person from six feet, however you can. So that's the first response. The second response Okay, so chances are these people are left for dead because they're going to the road, down the road to Jericho at night. Have you ever been in a place that was sketchy, that had no lights? You ever been in that place where you're like, hmm, this seems kind of scary and dangerous, and I need to get out of here as fast as I can? I'm sure you have been there. I'm sure that maybe somewhere along the way, perhaps your iPhone in Pittsburgh said, turn left. Well, I got to tell you something about Pittsburgh. By the time your iPhone says turn left, it's too late. You might as well just plan on taking a half an hour to an hour of your life and saying, I'm dedicating this to the chaos of the streets of Pittsburgh. Because it's going to take you about that long to get back to wherever it is that you missed your turn at. And sometimes that happens, and you can end up in a place where you're like, hmm, not so much. And I've actually done that there. And then I've been in places that during the day, I'm like, this looks pretty sketchy, only to drive through there at night. And you're probably saying, what are you doing at Pittsburgh at that time of night? Well, that's beside the point. What, 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 is, what, what, what is important is the fact that places that would look equally sketchy during the same time of the day look completely different when there are lights, street lights. And they say that when you look at crime statistics, the presence of street lights alone change behavior. And so sometimes we have to do things that have to do with, really, the environment that people find themselves in. Environments, whether we realize it or not, do affect us, both for good and bad. Even this church environment right here, it has a bearing on how we look at what the situation truly is. And the Good Samaritan possibly if this thing developed into something a little bit more complex and organized, maybe would say, yeah, we not only need to do something responsively 
to this situation by attending to a need, but we, we need to include in that an element of a proactive measure that will keep that from happening again. Now, I don't know exactly what it would be like on the road to, Samaria, or road to Jericho if it was lit up all the way through that valley and beyond, but I got to think it would make a difference. And so as God is calling us into a response, sometimes it means we got to do things on our own. Other times it means that we have to get our act together and get aligned and say, yeah, we agree on this purpose. And then there are other times, maybe we need to say, Salem needs help with such and such a thing, and we need to help out in that way so that it can be a better environment for everyone. Now, those are kind of theoretical questions that I think actually have a lot to do with what we do here as a church. And in this season, the elders and myself and the staff, we're asking the question, what is our mission here? Why does God have us here? And it's a hard question to ask because we, we do get kind of content. Now, there, there are three other things, if you guys will bear with me, I want to I address. As you're looking at these three different types of people, players, would you say the first one is a victim? Would that be fair to say? You know, the person on the road, left for dead? Clearly a victim, right? And then would you say that the people that were religious, that had obligations, that were looking at the road way ahead and saying, this here is getting in the way of me making that progression. But because they were able to walk around, they were able to neutralize the threat of being unclean, of being impacted by the presence of a person that if we did take time to attend to them would would disqualify us being able to go to the temple. And so they neutralize the threat by just going around it. And then there's the third person who responded to the problem that threatened his time, threatened his resources, and pretty much put him out. And yet he said... The sacrifice is so worth it. This is actually an opportunity for God to move, and something good can happen in this. The religious people had lost sight of the fact that God works through the lives of people that do his work, and they were just going through the motions. Now, I want to show, I don't know if I can show the graphic up there or not, but um, there's a circle that each of us are in. Right now, one of those circles is not that circle. It's the, the victim circle, okay? That's the one that says all the forces at work in the world are working against me, and I can't do anything about it. And I continue to think about how much I can't do anything that I get myself in a state where I basically become helpless. Now, granted, if you're beaten up and left for dead, you are clearly a victim, but if you're not beaten up and left for dead and you can still take nourishment, move around, and do things, there's no reason why you should be saying that all the forces in the, in the world are against me and therefore I'm a victim. You can't go there as a believer. You can't. I mean, I remember as a kid thinking, you know, I'm helpless. Things are working against me. I feel bad. I'm just going to go to the cellar and eat worms. And as a kid, I get it. But as an adult, no. But I'll tell you the thing I have been guilty of as a human being. And that is a neutralizer. That is, I have a goal, and there's drama getting in the way of the goal that I don't have time for. And so I'm going to try to find a way, either emotionally, psychologically, or behaviorally, to work around it so I can get where I need to go. 
Or I could just say, I don't want to be a victim, but I also don't want to be impacted by this stuff, and so I find safe distractions to keep myself from even going there. I'm just neutralizing the threat by just going somewhere in my head. And then there's the Samaritan who says, I got to do something. And so here's what he does. He responds, and the person perks up, and they walk out of the inn, and they live another day. And perhaps the Samaritan said, we got to do something about this. That's four people. This is a problem. This is a pattern. Who can I gather with to respond to this so this, this doesn't have to happen anymore? And perhaps even in that process, how can we preempt it from happening? Because it's one thing to respond to a problem. It's another thing to get out in front of it before it becomes a problem and get things in order. Now, I know it's a lot to digest, isn't it? So I'm just going to wind it down here. But there will be stuff coming out in the additional messages along those lines. Because I, I really want us to be there. I don't want us to be a church of victims. And I don't want us to be a church where we're paralyzed by the threat, so we're trying to neutralize it any way we can. I want us to be a church that says, in this season, God, what is it that we need to respond to? And then in this season, God, what is it that we need to preempt so that we don't create unnecessary drama for people because we've got that in order? And that's kind of how I see the parable today. And I hope that God has spoken through what I've shared in a meaningful way so that if you're in that victim place, there is a rescuer named Jesus who says there are forces that are overwhelming and a bloodstained cross is my response to that. And there are other, others of us who've settled in a spirit of contentment with our faith we just want to survive and neutralize the threats. And maybe God is telling you right now, I want you to rethink that. Because the unease that you have right now, part of that may just be a symptom of the fact that you're not being honest with the question. God, what can I do in this season? How can I find your peace by being obedient? And then maybe there are others who are saying, I'm full of ideas, Pastor. Let's get going. I just want to help engage us wherever we need to be engaged because God's got a lot of work to do because there's a lot of people left for dead on the side of the road. Well, I'm going to close this in prayer and then have one of our elders come up, and we're going to meet the Lord around his table. Would you bow with me? Father, we are so grateful that as we hear this message in a fresh way, I hope, Father, that what I've shared is in the spirit of what your son would call us to do in this moment. I pray, Father, that I haven't violated your word in any way, but just expanded on the intentions of your son. And if that's the case, Lord, I pray for each of us that our takeaway from what we've heard will in some way personally or corporately as a body, as a church family, will help us to see the road ahead in the way that we need to see it. Thank you, Father, for the time and the energy and the attention that you've given me to have this hearing in the lives of the people that uh, have received it, and I pray that it wouldn't return void. Bless everyone here as they um, find in you that satisfaction from your word. Bless our people online who are seeking that hopefully they can find you in it. And I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.
tell a small story. I have, my wife has an aunt, and um, she's had cancer multiple times. And if anyone could ever be a victim, it would be Aunt Jean. But there is never any person that could be any happier to be here and that feels they have a true purpose to be here than Aunt Jean. Cancer's come back multiple times. She's struggling through it again. And it's hard to watch that, but at the same time, her attitude towards everything makes it almost, I don't want to say easy to see it, but it make, it gives hope to me and everyone else that you can survive these things. And, you know, she's okay if she doesn't survive. Uh, you know, her faith in God is a huge part of her life. But she has decided not to be the victim. And I honestly believe that that's a choice that we all make. We can choose to be the victim or we can choose to push forward. And during this, this strange time that we're living in, you know, all we see is bad on the news. We, we very seldom hear the good, but I just thought that this small story, even though I've left out a million details of it, can give people hope that you don't have to be the victim. And the whole reason you don't have to be the victim is because of the hope we have in eternal life and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and as that leads us in this time of communion, um, let's just remember the sacrifice that he made for us so that we don't have to worry about being the victim and we have something that we can look forward to in, in the, the rest of our lives and not fear what we, we have here today. Uh, so with that, let's go to him in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that you've given us all to come together thank you for the, the message that you've given us today. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would help us to focus our hope on you, hope in you, and that you would uh, take away the fears that we might face in, in our lives. And we thank you for the, uh, the sacrifice your son Jesus Christ made for us, and uh, we ask your blessings upon the cup and the loaf as we partake in your son's name. power and it reset the keyboard. <laughs> it's not your fault. I take it. But, um, well, yeah, I don't know what to say after that. That's uh, shocking. But, um, yeah. but uh, yeah, it's nice to be with you all today. Um, I do have one more uh, prayer Rich texted me. Um, I said um, Auburn, I guess Peg Stewart's there. And he said his grandmother's there as well, but um, they're all individually quarantined because three staff and eight clients have COVID. Um, so pray for Peg, for all the people there, and for Martha, which is grandma's name. Um, so we pray for them as we go from here and we'll sing, sing to God.
Uh, thank you, Father, for this time together. Uh, just thank you for all you bless us with, God, that we can be here together to lift your name up to hear your word, to pray together, to pray for the body, for the church, for your kingdom. Um, so we did lift up Martha. Um, just pray for just safety there for her to not get the virus for Peg as well, and then just for the rest of the people there at Auburn, um, the people that do have it, just pray for healing there, if it's your will. Um, just, uh, we praise you, God. We thank you for people who do have high hopes and show your love in the midst of bad news and hard circumstances, but it is because of you, because you get us through everything. At the end of the day, we have hope in you. Um, you are our joy, God. So we love you. We praise you for this day, this time together. Let me stand up, we'll sing. Amazing love that welcomes me, the kindness of mercy. That bought with blood wholeheartedly my soul undeserving. God, you're so good. God, you're so good. God, you're so
safe and have a nice week. Remember, don't be a church of victims. Be a church of Chuck Norris's. See y'all later. <laughs>